So this morning I'm going to be introducing a character in the Bible who's a, he gets about three mentions, but he has an enormous impact on our lives, a man of God. And what I'm sharing today I'm calling Enoch Walked with God. First appears in Genesis chapter 5 verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Now I'm going to read a New Testament scripture which just fills in a couple more points about Enoch. Hebrews 11 verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. And he was not, and he was not found, because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So these two accounts, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament, present a very brief account of Enoch's life. But they embody the major themes of the story of Enoch's existence on the earth. We read of some ordinary facts, like the timeline of his life, his life on earth, that is, and some scarce family details. He had sons and daughters. And we also read of the most extraordinary circumstance of his being translated directly into heaven to be with God without having to die a natural death. We also read about his exceptional walk of faith with God, a walk so close and so pleasing to God that God appears to have said, now this is my take on what God could have said to Enoch, Let's continue this wonderful walk together up here because you don't need any more time down there trying to transcend the material disorder of things. You're living so much above it all that you might as well be totally here instead. His testimony of faith was so remarkable that the Bible marks his experience as a model of what the process of real faith is all about. It goes on to say, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now it might seem that this is the sum total of what we need to know about Enoch. He finished the course back in Genesis and enjoyed the rest of his existence involved in his heavenly existence and not involved with things on earth. That's what it would seem to be. But then another astounding scripture is found in the New Testament in the book of Jude that mentions Enoch as a prophet who has something powerful and significant to say about the end times judgment and the return of the Lord Jesus. Jude is writing to the church about the judgment to come and Jude is rebuking the church really. He's speaking about the judgment to come upon ungodly men who have infiltrated the church and defiled it with what he calls their lewdness. 
an old-fashioned word. In the Greek, it's aselgia, and it means corrupt and filthy behaviour. So it's an old-fashioned word, but a, a very modern cultural <laughs> concept. <laughs> so we'll read what Jude said in Jude verse 14. There's only one chapter. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also. These are these lewd men, <laughs> saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, and to convict all who are ungodly among them. So there's Enoch the prophet. So now we bring Enoch in his narrative more up to date and we need to take a look at what else is embedded in the words spoken about Enoch and the words spoken by Enoch. There's some remarkable symbolism found in the two numerals in the Genesis account and in the Jude account. The, the numbers are 7 and 300 and they have meaning in the Bible, archetypal meaning. You follow the number seven through and you see it speaks about the completion and the perfection of all things. And we follow the number 300 through and we'll have a look at that. But that number seven casts Enoch's life as a shadow of Jesus who walked perfectly with God, completed, total, no sin, no separation. In Genesis 5.21, it says that Enoch walked with God for 300 years and that 300 years speaks of overcoming and being protected from the enemy of darkness and death. Noah's ark was 300 cubits in length and the ark overcame the flood and the judgment of death upon the earth at that time. So that was history and Enoch's number 300 pops up. In fact, Enoch was Noah's great-grandfather. Gideon, he overcame impossible odds with 300 fighting men to win victory over the hordes of thousands of the Midianites who were attacking God's people. There were 300 golden shields in Solomon's armory. It's in 1 Kings chapter 10. And these golden shields were a symbol of divine protection. And God says in 1 Chronicles chapter 22 about Solomon. I'll give him rest from all his enemies on every side for his name will be Solomon and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. The meaning of the Hebrew word for shield, sinah, is strength, protection, defence against an enemy. So Enoch here is, he's bringing in, he's putting this stamp of 300 into the Bible narrative. He puts in the stamp of seven for completion and perfection. We see God promising Abraham about this protection. He said, don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. So Enoch was taken out of the world and did not see death, shielded from things. Now, I'd like to turn to some words that I believe Enoch speaks again in the Bible. I'm going to speak from the book of Revelation because is it any wonder that Enoch, who prophesied of the second coming of Jesus according to the book of Jude, 
in verse 14, it names him, the prophet, who prophesies the, the coming of the Lord and the judgment. 17 verses later, from the book of Jude, the book of Jude is straight in front of the book of Revelation. 17 verses later, when you get into the, the book of Revelation, chapter 1 and verse 7, we read this, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. So there you see an emergence of what Enoch said 17 verses previously in the book of Jude. Behold, he comes with the saints in the clouds. The words of the messenger... And the word for messenger, agalos, that's A-double-G-E-L-O-S, is angel, establish this thought when we read the account of John falling at the feet of the messenger to worship him. So John had an angel visit him that told him what was happening in the book of Revelation about the second coming, the judgment and the rewards. And so we put John in the picture now of what is happening. And he puts us in the picture of his experience and who that messenger might be. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 8, Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel or the messenger, Agalos, who showed me these things. Then he, the messenger, said to me, See that you don't do that. You weren't allowed to worship angels. But a lot of people did. But Enoch goes one step further. Well, no, I'm saying Enoch. This messenger goes one step further and says, See that you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant, one of your brethren, the prophets. And of those who keep, which means to adhere to and honour, the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. In other words, say what now has to be said, because the time will be coming. You think, well, when? Well, that was always a problem. <laughs> always a problem. And the scripture goes on, these are the words of the messenger, the prophet, goes on to say, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still, and let the filthy be filthy still. That word filthy is that word lewd means corrupt and filthy. And the righteous do right still, and the holy be holy still. See, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me, to repay everyone according to the deeds he has done. Now, these are pretty sombre, sober words, aren't they? But I'm glad that, as I'm suggesting to you here, that Enoch said them because he knew what it was like to overcome those things. And that word that I just read then about the second coming, this is the messenger, would be the third time that Enoch's prophecy gets spoken concerning the return of the Lord and of judgment and reward. So we have it in Jude, we have it in verse 1 of the book of Revelation, and we have it in here now, that was chapter 1 in the book of Revelation, and we have it in chapter 22. So I want to take this into a further conclusion about an Enoch generation. The Bible says that it is appointed for man once to die and then comes the judgment. 
Let me read it to you in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And just as it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. There will be people waiting for Jesus to come back. So why didn't Enoch have that appointment? And if the Bible says it's appointed for man once to die, why didn't Enoch die? Well, simply because the word of God can give permission for that. If the word of God says he didn't have to see death, well, he doesn't have to see death. That overrides the general one. And that's the only way that not seeing death can occur. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. Hebrews 11. The word of God also gives that permission to an entire generation of people who will be alive until the Lord returns. I call them the Enoch generation. And that truth concerning permission for cancelling that appointment is also found twice in the New Testament. You'd know the scriptures well. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. We who are alive and remain. Remember, that is at the time of judgment. Some people think that that's talking about something called the rapture, which happens supposedly before the time of judgment. Now, this is when the Lord returns with a trumpet. <laughs> then those that are alive and remain, we called up to meet them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 51, Paul says, We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So what do we think? Well, many generations have supposed that theirs could be the one. <laughs> the one that saw the return of Jesus. Most markedly was the generation that was still alive after Jesus ascended into heaven. At that time, when Jesus ascended, there were two angels standing by who said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Acts chapter 111. Now there's no reason for those people not to believe that his return was imminent. Oh, well, this could take weeks, maybe months. <laughs> Who knows? Well, we're ready. <laughs> so many Christians were conjecturing about this, I'd say, and I believe that Paul, even himself, was thinking that. Because we just read what he said in Corinthians and Thessalonians. He didn't say, you who remain. He said, we who remain. <laughs> so he would have been waiting for it to happen. And he writes to the Thessalonians. Now, whatever he said to the Thessalonians, they took it. And uh, rumour mills and all kinds of things would have gotten going because Paul had to write back to the Thessalonians and correct them in 2 Thessalonians 
in chapter 2, he says, And now, what about the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to meet him? Please don't be upset and excited, dear brothers, by the rumour that this day of the Lord has already begun. If you hear of people having visions and special messages from God about this or letters that are supposed to have come from me, don't believe them. Don't be carried away and deceived, regardless of what they say. For that day will not come until two things happen. First, there will be a time of great rebellion against God. And then the man of rebellion will come, the son of hell. So Paul, whether or not he went to heaven and had that vision and got the whole thing and went back thinking, I'd better just tell them this one thing. That appointment is off for the moment. So those scriptures were written 2,000 years ago. They've been there. But for 1,500 years, the ordinary church girl had no access to the Bible, so there was, there's no broad speculation about the second coming from people going to church because nobody would discuss these things. They're not pouring over the Bible. There were monks probably having some conversations. We don't know. However, there's been much speculation and conjecture in the last three or four hundred years, a lot of it, and that remains to this day. The point is that every generation that knows these things, and if it's only been for 300 or 400 years, they should live as if Jesus was perhaps returning to their generation. That's all I've got to say about it. Enoch represents a generation that shall be loosed from their appointment with death And the way to live that kind of life is the way Enoch modelled his life to us. He was a man who modelled the 300 class of spirit. He walked with God for 300 years and was lifted above the corruption that his grandson Noah, or great-grandson Noah, contended with, who built an ark of 300 cubits long, providing safety for his family from judgment and destruction. I believe that's a word to us. Let's look after those that are in our world of love and care and find grace for them. At any time, if we tap into something that there is a grace for, let's do it. And I believe that's always there in the calendar for us. Walk like this. I mean, what's the point of Enoch doing all of this and all that numerology? And God doesn't waste words. He doesn't plant little things in there so that we'll find out when we get to heaven, whatever. It's there for us to have a look at and see how to live. What's what's the story? What's the narrative? What's the encouragement and the challenge and the comfort? So his life speaks to us of the closeness of our walk with God that lifts us above the corruption of the world. It also models to us the 300 golden shields of Solomon that are shields of God's protection over our souls that gives us strength and peace. And it points us to the overcoming spirit of Gideon who with 300 men had the courage and took the victory over the power of the enemy. Enoch was the seventh from Adam. The number seven speaks of completion And I believe that God will have completed a work of grace in that generation. In fact, I think in any generation, we can look forward as Paul did. I'm not yet perfect, but I press towards the goal of that oneness with God, of the grace of God. 
So that generation will also have a seventh from Adam class of spirit. In other words, bending Adam back and revealing Jesus. The completion of Adam, if you like, the completion of the humanity that was created in the image of God, now being formed into the likeness of God through Jesus Christ. I mean, the gospel just keeps pouring out of these stories, these narratives, the symbolism. So, just like the psalm said about that generation, a people yet to be created will praise the Lord. They will not see death. The work of grace that will be completed in that generation will bring praise to God from a people who know how to give thanks to God in all things. For that's the will of God in Christ for us. In any situation, our freedom comes from getting our eyes off ourselves and on to God. That is always the starting point. Enoch had eyes for God. He lived, had children, had to contend with life, but somehow he just lifted his eyes to God and he was lifted up not only above that, but into God. Not until Jesus came as God and brought God's spirit into humanity, having died and sown himself as the seed of that living DNA, his life, his spirit rising up, which is the bringing forth of the fruit of that, and then sending the Holy Spirit to us and planting that life in us so that now we have that work, seventh from Adam work. No longer Adam, even though he hangs around, knocks on the door of our heart and wants to take over. We've got Jesus in there that says, hey, I'm here knocking and I'm going to knock louder because I want to get your complete attention. So the starting point is going from painful self-consciousness to joyful God-consciousness. Going there. <laughs> Not working your way to try and make yourself as good, good enough to get there. Just going there. Because the work has been done. Completed. So we're not waiting for the bad thing to happen. I mean, there's a lot of bad things happen. Don't sit around waiting for the bad thing to happen, but wait and expect the good thing of God's work to manifest. Get your mind on that. This requires thinking from the believing mind that is seated in our spirit, not from the thoughts that are attached to the emotions of our soul. So our mind, having been renewed in the spirit is seated in our spirit. It's not some tumultuous, storm-tossed thought. It's the mind, the renewed mind of the spirit, that is us, our identity, with Christ, have this mind in you which was also in Christ. And so that's in our spirit. And we think from that mind, not from the thoughts that are attached to all the emotions of our soul. That's a work of faith. That's a work of movement, of movement towards something that's real, waiting to grow, be watered by faith and lived out. And the first ones to receive it will be the people that are close to you, in your family, or ones that, if the family is not there, God has people around you that are close 
that you will be the one to be able to invite into a space, into a place where God releases what he calls, as Paul calls it when he writes to the Corinthians, the aroma of life. <laughs> the aroma of life. I don't think people smell it necessarily, <laughs> but I think spiritually something touches their spirit. So we thank you, Lord, now that we can walk with you. We have an example of a man that was taken up, that lived as the seventh from Adam, that lived for 300 years with you, a 300 class of spirit. And we ask for your grace in these days. We thank you for your mercy that allows us to come confidently to that throne of grace so that we may find grace in time of need. In Jesus' name, amen.